the day doesn't go as planned and you've got this tasty workout and you're like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get it in. It's, you know, seven o'clock at night. I'm going to go out and do a, a 90 minute run that has some good stuff in it. And it might not be the best option. You know, after a day like that, the stress could be increased. You could have skipped a meal or two and then you're going into this workout, putting a lot of emphasis on it and it doesn't, it doesn't pan out and becomes one of your crap workouts, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's something you're just trying to check the box. And mm. so is it more important to eat something before that workout and then do the workout? Or is it important just to do the workout, have it be crap, you didn't fuel or hydrate enough and you're just checking it off? Because that's not going to be what the full purpose of that is for. And then you don't detach from it and hold on to that (laughs) until the next time you get that tasty workout and then you already go into it going, this is going to be horrible. (laughs) And then it's like, no more tasty workouts. I want to go back to what I was doing before. (laughs) If you don't want the tasty workouts, all you have to do is be inconsistent with your training. (laughs) That's it. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess, and I'm here today with the Yogi Triathlete coaches for our first, hopefully of many, roundtable discussions. I've got Liz here, our running coach and meditation teacher. Yay! Maybe we'll give them an update on that. Got Daniel, our triathlon coach and plant-based nutrition coach. Yeah, you also, he also does that. And Beej, our head coach and my fellow co-founder of Yogi Triathlete. So thanks so much for being here, you guys. If you like the show, let us know. I want to give a shout out to our Patreon community, you guys, and actually everyone who's listening to this can give a big old thank you to our Patreon community because they're the ones that are keeping this stream commercial free. So thanks so much, you guys. I think it's a really special creation that was quite organic and unplanned. And uh, we are really grateful. We hope that you're receiving some good perks and benefits with our live yoga. Um, We've got recorded yoga. We've got our Awake Athlete community and much more up there on patreon.com forward slash yogi triathlete. So check it out. But today we are awake and ready because I just made everybody take a big whiff of peppermint oil because we just finished a huge brunch at the Plot Restaurant here in Oceanside, California, one of our favorite vegan restaurants. And we actually had Jess and David on the podcast, I want to say like 2019. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but they've now opened the plot for Sunday brunch. So we just came from there. We promise we won't fall asleep. We are ready to throw down. And uh, why doesn't everyone just say, hey, Hey, everybody. Coach Liz here. Hello, everybody. This is Daniel. And Beej. All right. That was quick. I guess I have to be closer to the mic. This is what we're going to (laughs) say. This is what I'm going to do. It's a reminder to myself. We just had microphone school 101 here. We are cozy. Well, Liz and I are super cozy. Daniel and Beej are super cozy. And Clark, as always, (laughs) is super cozy. All right. So... Our first topic that we're going to throw down for this roundtable is crap races. Who wants to begin? Tell us about your crap race and maybe what you learned from it or weren't awake to what you were to learn from it. And you can see now so clearly it was shining at you in interrogation lights. I'm going to, I think people would be surprised at what I'm about to say, but I would say, 
one of my crap races was Boston 2017. And in saying crap, like uh, it honestly wasn't crap because I learned so much from it. But I think for me, I went into that race thinking I was going to crush it and do much better than my time showed. And when I didn't, I felt super embarrassed from the situation and my time. But now that I look back, I realize it was showing me that I never gave up. I kept going until I finished. I took in the energy of the crowd in full gratitude. And that pace doesn't matter. I'm thinking, um, hearing you talk, Liz, I was thinking about uh, Sally McRae that we just interviewed not too long ago. And she talks about like how it's really your pride that's hurt, right? Like when we have these crap races, it's really our pride that's hurt. And I think that's what gets in the way of us being able to see those lessons for sure. Like my, the crap race that's coming up for me um, certainly was a pride issue. And I will share that, but not right now. Um, anything more on that? I agree with you on the pride. I, I think that I had just turned 50 and doing Boston was a big deal for me because I had wanted to do it since I was like 28 years old and I first moved to Boston. And when I, like the first probably 18 miles, I was doing well and then the hills hit and I had done some extra training that wasn't necessary beforehand that <laughs> caused me to be a little... Um, have some sensation in the body that kicked up once I hit the hills. And I think for me, my ego really wanted to show that age didn't matter. And to me, in showing that it had to be about my time, which was total BS, mm. which I understand that now. It took me through some races in 2019 to fully get that, but I totally received that information for sure. Mm. Have you guys had races like that? Like where pace like kind of took you down? Well, I don't think I don't think you're alone in that respect because I think most people that would term their crap race, it's probably because of expectations weren't met. So, I mean, and I definitely had one of those this year with Coeur d'Alene going into that with high expectations after not racing for two plus years. Um, you know, not because of COVID, but because of health issues that I had and then COVID. So um, I went into Coeur d'Alene with an expectation to do really well. And then to have the body not show up that day, um, I could have easily not shown up to the swim start, um, but I did. And I think what I learned from that is just, um, you know, we talk about what let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be no. Um, and I was going to do that race <laughs> no matter what. Um, and I think going through the pain of that day really um, pushed my growth farther than I could have expected. Were you like, as you were going into the race, and I don't know if people know how extreme it was. I didn't know until afterwards that you were like literally laying on the floor for days, yeah. like leading into the race. 
Do you feel like the work that you've done, like you are awake to those things or were you caught up in how we say like, how, how do you say uh, caught up in the movie of life? Like when you get caught up or drunk on the drama, which is one of my favorite uh, sayings that I heard recently. Um, do you feel like you were awake to it or were you just in it? Like you were in the drama, in, in fear, in doubt, or a little bit of both? I think I was, a well, I mean, I think I was a, a little in fear of not being able to show up and like, I think it's just the fear of showing up and the expectations of or or what people around you are going to think. Um, I think that was more fearful to me than um, not having a good race. Um, but I think that I let that expectation go the day before. Um, you know, I went to pack a pickup and I couldn't even stand for the the briefing, the athlete briefing, walked back to the car and I just completely broke down um, in tears. And I think at that point is where I just let it go, like the expectations go and decided that I'm going to show up and do the best I can no matter what. So was that your crap race? That was my crap race, for sure. <laughs> and that was, I don't know if we said it, but that was Coeur this year, this 2021. Year. Um yeah, Beach. How about you? Which what was your crap race? I've had plenty of crap races. You have had plenty <laughs> I've had of, crap lots of crap races. Uh, races I, I've not even been able to start. Like been at the location and not been able to to toe the line. Um, you know, thinking about some crap races. I think I'll go back to the very first, um, <laughs> my very first Ironman because I've been talking about this a lot. Like as we start to welcome on athletes that are doing their first you know, experiences with, um, their first experience with endurance sports is you have all these expectations. I'm going to qualify for Kona. Like I am going to, I am going to make this race. I'm going to get my spot. Everything is in line. Fitness is good. Pace looks great. And then you get to the race start and like panic hits and you're constantly adjusting your expectations. So then it becomes, I just want to finish. Like, I just want to finish this race. Uh, so that was Coeur 2006 was my first Ironman. And I did have, you know, I legitimately thought, like our guest, Ari Clow recently, like he believes he can win races. I believed I could qualify for Kona on my first, like Ironman. And I was so far from that. Like, it was about finishing the race, uh, throwing up, walking, uh, constant doubt, pain, and like everything you could think of. Um, all the way to the point where I think it was mile 20 or 21 was when I actually started to feel okay. <laughs> and I was like, all right, this feels like I should be doing this. And uh, I love how quickly the mind forgets because I believe I was running my fastest miles ever. And I think it wasn't too far off from my slowest mile. So it definitely was a feeling. Um, but but in that in that respect, I think it was just the attachment to how uh, what times I needed to hit, how I needed to feel at that point in my career. I point in my career starting the sport. I was like, if I do the training, I probably won't feel this bad on race day. Well, that's far from anything that's going to happen um, now that I know that uh, the training just gives you a, a a sneak peek of what to expect or what's going to happen. 
and just continue to detach. So that was a really crap experience. And my second one I'll just mention was when I threw all strategy out and I decided that I wasn't going to take in any nutrition because I didn't want to cramp. And I did that was fine for the swim and that was okay for the bike. And then it was, I think it was third off the bike and then it was just downhill off of that onto the run where I just slowly lost. I, I don't think you, I don't place. think you need to be a nutritionist to uh, predict that one. <laughs> I don't think that you need Definitely to have not a, recommended. a crystal ball to no. say that you are going to fall that was a crap apart. Race. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, but to clarify, I mean not that it matters, it's still a crap race. That wasn't an Ironman though. No, that was just that was an Olympic distance. Yeah. yeah. I remember that one. What was that? It was in Lo- Union Reservoir. Yep. Yeah. So it's not that I adjusted any effort by not taking in nutrition. I was going to probably harder than I wanted to go, thinking that I wouldn't cramp. Because I had this thing of cramping every time I got to the run. Um, so, had nothing to so do. So logic said, just remove <laughs> all yeah. electrolytes. It must be the nutrition going in that's making me cramp. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just think that's so funny. <laughs> it's awesome. How the mind comes up with these things. Yeah. But I, I just want to say that the one where you did your first Ironman, you're like, I'm going to qualify for Kona. When I did Boston, seriously, no one knows this. I'm announcing it here first, folks. <laughs> lean in, lean in. Um, I literally thought I was going to run Boston and qualify for Boston. Total, I, I mean, seriously, I truly believed it, truly believed it. But it just was not meant to be. <laughs> what was the time gap on that? Oh, <laughs> good hour or <laughs> And I, I want, VJ, I want you to, do, to share that first Ironman, which was Coeur d'Alene 2006, mm-hmm. um, just to give people permission that they don't have to have like Jan Ferdano's bike to do an Ironman. What was your bike situation for that race? I had a road bike with uh, clip-ons. An aluminum. An aluminum road with a carbon fork. Like that was the... <laughs> That was the selling point. You can get an aluminum bike inexpensive and get the benefits of the carbon fiber bike having a fork, the front fork that was carbon fiber. Yeah, I did it on a road bike with clip-ons. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need, you know, you don't need, I think that can be such a barrier to the sport, mm-hmm. right? Is like you have to have all this high-tech equipment and yeah, there's things that you need. Uh, if the water temperature is 60 degrees, you're going to want a wetsuit. Um, but shout out to Roka. I just bought their entry-level wetsuit. What was that? Like, two, it's I think a it's brand like new one. $200, mm-hmm. brand new. Um, and I love it. And somebody else on the team has it and they love it too. But yeah, you don't need... Um, you don't need top of the line equipment to get yourself started in the race, like because it is, it, it it does add up for sure. It does. It's an investment, but it's an investment in yourself, and I think that um, giving ourselves permission to invest in ourselves is super important. It'd almost be more important. I know this is going off, well, kind of sideways topic, but it's more important to invest in the mind, the nutrition, um, and your pacing. You know, your abilities at that time. I think would be a bigger investment than. Equipment. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a road bike too for the first two years of doing triathlon. Um, I didn't do a full Ironman on the road bike, but I did my first seventy point three on a road bike. So yeah, um, you definitely don't need all the equipment. Mm-hmm. That's just the impulses of the mind telling you you need all mm-hmm. this equipment in order to do the race. That's keeping you from literally doing the race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, and how many people have we interviewed like professional triathletes and they're just like, well, I did my first one on a borrowed bike and, you know, um, and, and also to be a triathlete doesn't mean you have to do an Ironman. That's, that's a mindset that has shifted over the years. Like when, when we started, it was like, you do the sprint and then you do the Olympic. And then I remember our friend Christina, her first triathlon wasn't Ironman. No, her first triathlon was a half Ironman. I remember thinking she was so crazy doing that. And now that's kind of the norm. So don't feel pressured. You can be a triathlete um, without even registering for a race. You can go out and do your own self-supported multi-sport and be a triathlete. As the Iron Cowboy has showed us, you can go do 101 <laughs> of them on your own. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, my crap race. So the one that came to mind, I, this inspiration came when I was on the trail this morning, and it was, I can't remember what year it was. It might have been 2009. I think it was 2000. Oh, yeah, it was 2009 because I was getting ready to go to India, and um, I had to get some vaccinations, and I took the, ty the typhoid vaccination came in two pills, and I took the first pill like the day before I did the 5430 long course, which is now Boulder 70.3, uh, half Ironman. Um, this was back in the day when Barry Siff still ran these races. And um, so essentially I towed the line with typhoid and felt awful. I had a fever. I mean, I had all the symptoms of typhoid and I I think my half marathon was like something like three hours. I know it was like three something. I want to say it was like 320, but that might have been the first half Ironman I did in, in the wrong size shoes. Um, I think this one was around like three hours. And to kind of speak to what Liz was talking about, I remember when I came in, we had a big community of friends that were triathletes and our coach Craig was there who we've had on the podcast. And everyone was so concerned. And I remember Craig, who's like one of the kindest people, was like, oh my God, we were so concerned. We were like worried about you. And my reaction was like, I was so bullshit because my pride was so hurt, you know, like that that it was all about like, they they don't think that I'm capable. And then the other voice was like, you're, you're the worst and you're so slow and you're just, your body doesn't look like all the other people. And it was it was bad and I was completely in it. I was not awake to any of it. And it's funny now, the the stories, like the roots of those stories and the essence of those stories, like they'll still show up, but I'm awake to them now. But I see like that day that I expanded them. That And I was so upset. And I remember just going to the beer tent and getting a buzz. <laughs> that was my solution, to be quite honest. That was my solution. Then I had fun and I was able to let go of it. Um, you know, whatever, I'd drown it. And, um, but yeah, I remember just being so mad. And isn't that so silly that like you're mad because people care about you and they love you, right? But the ego will take it as a threat. Like they don't think I'm good enough, but who's really thinking that you're not good enough? I was thinking I wasn't good enough. So yeah, I hope that levels the playing field. For some peeps out there that we all have bad races and you know daniel just had a crap race not too many months ago so what do we do with the crap races like now that we've all shared our crap races and i'm sure people listening are like i just had my crap race so what do you do with this information and i don't think i'll speak for myself i don't think in that time frame i could quite grasp it so you need some distance well let's ask daniel what'd you do with your crap race how'd you let that move through you 
He's like, I actually haven't yet. Yeah. He's like, I'm time. about I'm to a tough time with this. I'm about to have a freaking breakdown. No. <laughs> I think it it goes back to the mindset and that going back to detachment that in the past I think I would have struggled a lot more with it. And the fact that I complete I still completed the race. Granted it wasn't where I wanted to be or or as fast as I wanted to be. But um I just moved on from it really quickly um, by detaching from it and got back to work and and then focused on what I could do to fix my body. So, you know, I've gone to ART, I've gone to acupuncture, I've gone to chiropractor, I've gone, you know, I, I've gone down the list trying to fix my back for good because it's, it's been an issue um, for years for me, um, the back. Granted, Coeur d'Alene was worse than it's ever been, and it was a little different than what I usually have. But, um, you know, it finally woke me up to like, okay, I need to fix this for good. Mm, yeah, waking up. Sometimes those moments, I mean, not sometimes, I think all those dark moments are there to wake us up. Um, oh, there's a quote from Paramahansa Yogananda. It's like your trials did, your trials do not come to punish you; they come to awaken you. Mm. And I think that that's kind of the edge that we all get to carry now because we are awake to it. Like we can't unsee what we've seen, right? Like we we've learned too many lessons already on this path. Um, that's awesome because and I picked on you because yours was most recent um yeah all right well Next. i think there's all i think there's a reason we go through an experience like that so um if you can grow from it um i think that's what you know if you could you could if you could find the reason why um you're going to do so much better in the next race. Mm. When I think that goes back to the quote we, we always hear is that it's not done to you, it's done for you. And if you can focus on this was for me and what was that and why, that's when you can truly move on from the race. All right. Moving on. Are we moving on? We can move on. BJ swiveling the mic. Well, he hasn't really, he hasn't had a race yet to. I know. Actually, because California <laughs> was canceled. So to be continued, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> we'll see yeah. how. Ironman California was kind of a crap race. <laughs> Not the real uh, yeah. race that happened in Sacramento, which, as we all know, was the 5K. Yeah, the right. 5K people. More on the that 5K. later. <laughs> we have to all do right. the 5K all SmackDown. Races matter. <laughs> matter. All races matter. All races matter. All right, next topic. Nutrition. Mm. Who wants to dive in wherever you want to dive in? Because we got we started talking about this uh, over brunch today. Go. <laughs> Ready? Go. Ready? Go. Go. <laughs> I'll start with athletes not eating enough, especially if you're vegan, like I am, and we all are. Um, I would say one of the things we touched on was that quite often people want to go and choose plant-based vegan eating, but then they eat like they were eating when they weren't vegan. And plant-based eating is um, so nutrient dense that 
you need to actually eat more. And we often don't eat enough and we don't realize that that's the reason we're so tired or things aren't working the way we'd like them to work. So we give up on that nutrition altogether. Whereas I feel for me, being vegan and the way I choose to eat helps me live a better life and with less inflammation and more energy to do the things I want to do in my racing and in life. Yeah, so they remove the animal product, but don't replace it with anything else. So they continue eating the way they were, removing the animal product, and don't increase calories somehow by adding lagoons in or beans or tofu or whatever. So, yeah, it's definitely... Anytime I've talked to somebody that has had those symptoms, they're just tired all the time, lethargic, they're just not, don't have the energy, it always go back to calories. There's such a big difference between animal products and plants. Mm -hmm. I had that. Um, I can't remember. I think it was leading into my first Ironman in 2008. I was tired and being a woman, I just automatically thought it was iron. And when I had um, some blood work done, was working with a nutritionist, she was like, it was calories. Like I w and I w looking at my daily diet, um, I remember her saying, I was eating a lot of cheese at the time. And I remember her saying like, that is not heart healthy and you definitely need to back off the cheese. But you're also not getting enough carbs. Like I wasn't, I just wasn't getting enough carbohydrates to fuel my body. And this was a nutritionist that was working with athletes. But I didn't even think about that. Like I think we, as default, like we'll go like for women, oh, I need iron for, or I need protein or whatever the conditioning is, right? But a lot of times it's what is, it's the calories. It's a deficit in calories. And not, it's definitely going to make you feel tired. It's going to have you pushing your body when it doesn't have the fuel to push. And that's going to lead down a road that um, is not helpful for your performance and your goals. And I don't, I don't track calories myself. I never have, or macros, anything. I never have. Um, the other thing I hear too is that the people that do track it they'll say, okay, I'm eating my calories. But then if you if you dive a little deeper into it of what they're actually eating and you see oil, oil is a big calorie bomb. So you got to really look at where you're getting your calories too. Just because you're eating vegan doesn't mean all those calories are going to be beneficial to your body. Mm. Yeah, because... Like you said, it's, oil is a calorie bomb, right? So you're getting a lot of calories, but you're not getting any fiber. So the satiation level is much lower than if you were eating 500 calories of vegetables as opposed to 500 calories of oil. And they say they're always hungry. I'm always hungry. I'm always eating. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm always eating constantly. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, I guess, you know, that's, that's one thing about eating mostly a plant-based, whole food plant-based diet is that um, you do have to eat a lot more. Mm -hmm. And the training isn't the time to, you know, restrict calories or or go into a go into it with in a fasted state most often. We want to train and and train to our abilities so that we can get the performance that we that we all want, but we got that there's a fueling that takes place there. So it's a constant um, checking in with um, what are you eating prior to the workout, what you're eating during the workout, and what you're doing afterwards. And speak for myself, like I definitely have been on the lighter side of things 
Um, just as we get to explore this realm of being a plant-based endurance athlete, like getting getting good at it. I remember when we first started, it was like salad and a, a garden burger on top, and that was it. Like I would think it was that was religiously what we were eating most often. Um, and then bagels, I think bagel, like we each would have a full bagel in the morning with peanut butter from what I remember or cream cheese. Um, anyway, it just takes, it takes time. Like give yourself, give yourself some time to get used to it. See what works in the body. I don't think any of us here count calories, but what I, what I can say is that we all check in with how we feel. And if I'm feeling lethargic, when was the last time I ate or what was my water consumption, you know, today and, and what was my workouts over the past two or three days and how have I recovered from that? So getting curious about the things that you've done, um, in preparation and response to the workouts that you're doing. Well, and my calories, my calories will increase based on my training just because of what I'm fueling during the workout as well. You know, so before BJ talked about before, during, and after, um, and if you're if you're in the middle of like Ironman training, um, you're going to be fueling with calories during your workout. So a lot of times, you don't have to make a, a lot of adjustments. Um, just make sure that you're fueling your workouts. And we've talked about before, not on the podcast, but about our athletes fueling during their workouts, even if it's a short workout, you know, if it's an hour, I know there's, you know, some believe you don't need to fuel if it's less than an hour, but I'm under the belief that if you're constantly fueling, it's going to help your recovery process as well. So. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm of that same camp. I'm always fueling. Um, but I did want to speak a little bit and I won't go into too much depth of it, but you know, I practice Ayurveda, which is, um, a, you know, 5,000-year-old uh, form of medicine steeped in Indian philosophy, yogic philosophy, right? So Ayurveda is the path to optimal health, while yoga is what gives us the discipline to stay the course. So the two of them together are pretty perfect. So in Ayurveda, there are the three doshas. There's pitta, kapha, and vata. And there's a whole philosophical explanation as to how those doshas come about and what they're made from and all of that. And um, so I'm a pitta dosha, which is fire and a little bit of water. And um, I have a very strong digestive fire. BJ is kapha pre predominantly. Well, we're just assuming because you haven't taken a dosha quiz, or at least he says, he's rolling his eyes right now saying, <laughs> I have taken a dosha quiz. Um, but you have fire too. I'd just like to see your numbers. Um, so kapha is earth and water and doesn't have as much of a digestive fire. So it's helpful to know, I think, if that's of interest to you, what's your constitution? Um, and then there's things that will take my pitta out of balance where I have too much fire and we've all, we all know the destruction of a fire that's out of control. So that's not helpful for anybody, family, your community, or the world. And um, things that you can do to get your doshas in balance, right? So you'll always have a predominant dosha. And then um, they don't all have to be equal in number when you take a dosha quiz. But you'll have a predominant one. And there's signs and symptoms of when you are out of balance. And so as a pitta, typically, 
I find that like when I travel, I will get a vata imbalance, which is very mobile. That quality is air and ether. So very mobile. Um, and I find that when I travel, I get a bit of a vata imbalance. So knowing like how to get your, it's, they're very simple, just very, very simple things. Like sometimes it's just taking my shoes off and putting my feet on the ground will help me get my, that vata dosha back into balance. But um, one of the things that we do in Ayurveda, it's not just food, it's, it's how we eat. Yes, it's what we eat, but it's how we eat. It's also the colors. It's also our home decoration. It's also our sleep. It's also our communication. It's the music that we listen to. Um, all of that weighs into the balances of these elements that make up our natural bodies. And, um, so how we eat, and this is a big one. This is kind of where I wanted to get when I started talking about this is, are you chewing your food? If you're not chewing your food and you don't have a strong digestive fire, you are going to have undigested food in your body, which is then going to begin to rot. And once it rots, it creates toxins, right? We know wine. Wine is the rotting, uh, is the byproduct of rotting fruit, right? So it actually has some <laughs> Did you, your eyes just lit up with that. Uh, yeah, great book called uh, Alcohol Lied to Me is a really good book if anybody's interested in, in looking a little deeper at the relationship with alcohol. Um, but yeah, as food begins to rot in our bodies, it creates toxins and that creates an inflammatory response, which is going to be, you know, always your base layer for dis-ease and illness um, in the body. So chewing your food, practicing at least having one meal. Okay, okay I want to say one meal a day, but I'm going to say one meal a week by yourself in quiet with no distraction and chew your food. And I think a lot of times, like we get so caught up in these numbers, oh, I have to have this 1200 calories for breakfast. Well, if you're not chewing your food, you might, I don't know, what are you getting? 600 calories, 700 calories maybe? And the rest is rotting in your stomach and creating an inflammatory response. So it's not just what we eat, it's how we eat, you know? And, and yoga would say, we eat by time and tongue. We're conditioned to eat by time and tongue. Like, oh, it's noon. I got to eat lunch. Or um, tongue meaning like that tastes good or, oh my God, that smells good. We live through our senses. And so um, we're just bringing some level of mindfulness and awareness to how you're eating, when you're eating, are you really hungry? Like for example, we just went to the pot and I had an entree and a half and I ate too much. Like I'm 87% full right now. And Ayurveda says, eat till you're 75% full because you want space. You always want space, right? Don't we love space? So um, that's just another factor I wanted to share. And I'm like Jess, I'm Pitta. <laughs> mostly <laughs> and making the changes based on that in my not only what I eat how I eat when I eat um what can bring me back into balance has made an ama it's just been amazing for me I feel so much better knowing that information and I truly believe the inflammation in my body's gone down and as a woman who's almost 55 and not in menopause I have had hot flashes and I haven't had, now I haven't had a hot flash mm. in months. Yeah, because pitta is heat. Right. It's fire. And what's inflammation? So pitta constitution is really prone to inflammation in, in the body. So you really want to keep that fire under control. And it's shocking, like little things that 
will um, will take you out of balance. You know, we talked about this with Meg Layton on the podcast, like ice in your drink, like lose the ice because ice traps heat. Um, anyway, I don't want to turn this into an Ayurvedic uh, discussion, but um, but it is cool. Like, and there's definitely something brewing with me to you know begin some more formal education around that. Mm. Um, but I will continue my experiment of one for for now. And yeah. helping me. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've made <laughs> yes. some changes that weren't like massive and just mm-hmm. little changes. Like we got off, both of us got off of almond butter. Now we use yep. sun butter. Yep. Yeah, things like that. So Simple things. Yeah, not that, no sacrifice. Right. All right. Well, I had uh, my first calm um, pre-race breakfast leading into California as I was sitting in the bathroom eating my <laughs> applesauce and um, bananas and protein powder mix because <laughs> it's it was in a hotel room, you know. I didn't want to wake Jess, but I remember mixing it all together like really slow. Whereas before, I feel like I wake up on race morning, I want to get that in as soon as possible so that I can either meditate or, and even better, like fall back to sleep before I need to get back to the race start because we like to eat three hours uh, before the race. But I actually like took my time in there, like I sliced the banana. Every, and just ate it bit by bit. And it probably took me 15, 20 minutes to consume. Whereas in the past, I can definitely say it was less than five minutes to kind of get that in as quickly as possible. And I think my my stomach was able to digest it and work through. And by the time I got to the race site to put on my wetsuit, I didn't have to think about taking my wetsuit off again. Mm. So... It's just a reminder. <laughs> if that makes sense. That's a loaded you statement. You get it, you guys? <laughs> I think it just goes back to living life with purpose. Like how often are you not living your days and moments with purpose? You're just trying to get through them and you're not in the present moment. Mm. So the fact that you were so purposeful and in the moment, then it goes into your body in a much better state and you feel better. Just the fact that for myself, I'm sitting and eating my food with purpose slowly chewing my food, I can tell you that I feel a thousand times better than when I'm in my car and I have to shove a macro bar down my face because I ran out of time and I'm getting hangry. So being purposeful and knowing that you're like, pay attention to your body's cues that you're getting hungry. And and instead of worrying about what time it is and should you or should you not be eating. Mm, Yeah, and notice what happens when you, like, do take it too far and, like, do you get shaky? Do you get hangry, right? So pittas can get really hangry, like, get out of our way. And and you don't want to get there if that's your main constitution because... Your, your body's going to suffer, your digestion's going to suffer, everything's going to suffer, and you're just going to throw a bunch of food in your mouth and you're not, probably not going to chew it very well because everything's starting to get really out of control. So know, knowing, right, it all goes back to like being an archaeologist of self, like knowing who are you when you get hangry or hungry or you go too far or you eat too much or, you know, fueling with like Roctane works great for some people. Guroctane, Guroctane doesn't work. Like I know it doesn't work great for Liz. Like knowing what works for you. We have to be willing to slow down and pay attention to ourselves 
Because our bodies are constantly giving us feedback. They're just constantly giving us information. Like we love data and information. We're athletes, right? Well, your body's giving you data and information all the time. Are you awake to hearing it and, and, and acting on it? Well, I think society lives by these traditions of like you have to eat at this time, breakfast, lunch, dinner. And it's like throw those out the window and just fuel your body when it's telling you like know your body and recognize the signals of when you're hungry and fuel fuel then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i yeah i i think listening to this data and information that you're collecting the same thing daniel's talking about is your body's giving you data and information of of when you need to eat and what you need to fuel with and looping this into training and racing Understanding when you go on these long bikes or these long runs and your coach asks you to document what you took in, you're like, oh, I can't remember. You were caught up in a specific data and information realm. Like you were caught up in the speed, pace, elevation, time, whatever. Whereas you're getting information on on what's actually allowing you to perform. And so once you start to learn this stuff, like Roctane doesn't work or Huma gels work well for me, or just fruit or uh, potato burritos work well for me. Understanding that this is how um, your specific um, constitution is, like this is what's allowing you to to train and perform, and documenting that allows you to gather more information on yourself. The paces, the distance, all of that will come. I mean, that's to me, that's an easier uh, place to uh, get to. Where I think we can, where we get caught up, or not where we get caught up, where we skip a step or two is when we, we're not uh, aware of the nutrition that we're actually putting in our body or lack of actually putting anything in our body isn't my experience on that race. <laughs> we're just like, I'm just going to go fast um, and see what happens. So I think, I think it's like this whole, uh, you know, the analogy of peeling back the onion, like find out what is working for you, like constantly in training and racing, find out what works for you. Document what happens. The mind is very unreliable. It's, you're going to be three days, four days out from a workout. You're going to be like, well, what did I take in? I can't remember if it was one gel or two gels. And get really curious about what you're putting in so that all this money and time and energy and sacrifice you're putting into this specific race performance, you're doing everything you can to give yourself the best chance of, of having that best race that you can. So, um, really important to, to really see what works for you. So we're sharing four different perspectives here and that's just a starting point. So take this information, apply it in your workouts this weekend and write out what happens and then adjust next week and see if you can take in more calories or calories that actually taste good to you. Um, so yeah, something to get curious about. And I think with nutrition, it's like when someone asks you what shoes you wear to race in, um, it's personal. So nutrition is personal too. And I, and I think I have people ask me all the time, what do you eat before this, and this run or this long of a run? And I always tell them, this is what works for me. This is what I choose and it works for me. But you've, you need to play around and figure out, just like BJ was saying, what by taking those notes and being, like Jess said, an archaeologist of the self and knowing exactly what's going to work and what doesn't. And once it tells you it doesn't work, don't keep trying it. Because I did that with Guroctane. Like, how many times did it have to tell me? It made me nauseous. But for everybody else, like, it works. So it just depends. 
Yeah, so you probably, okay, Jess and BJ mentioned Goo Roctane. Okay, so I've got to make this work because they don't have any nutrition issues. They've said it many times. It's got to work for me. I'm going to bowl my way through this. But that's great. I mean, that's like, just take the information, try it. It doesn't work. Throw it out. Try something else. That's why these nutrition companies are out there. They're they're not they're not solely you know using us four as their sample size you know <laughs> there's definitely other people out there so um, yeah be flexible be flexible but then once you find things that work you know find there's always fine tuning always the, the ability to fine tune to dial in that um, that radio station mm-hmm. I think we all do a lot of our coaching based off of feel and. I'll get notes in the athletes' um, training peaks that they felt great on that run or they felt great on that bike. And I'll, you know, pose the question, well, what was different than last week? And nine out of ten of times, it's more calories. (laughs) So, um, you know, so BJ talked about that, you know, all the data points, you know, go by how your body is feeling, you know, recognize that make notes of it, practice it before you get to race day. Mm-hmm. And Beach talks about like earning the tasty workouts and earning the tasty workouts. Yes, it means lacing up your shoes and getting out the door for sure. But it also means fueling your body in a way where your body can absorb the tasty workouts. So it's not just doing the physical training. It's also doing the nutritional training, right? And then of course, the mental training. Mm. So in these tasty workouts, <laughs> it's usually repetitive you know, set distances. And, and it happens frequently where the deeper they get into the session, the less energy they have, the less focus they have, the less um, less potential they have available in that moment, and their pace tends to decrease. So tasty workouts come when athletes understand, well, first, they're consistent. Let's stop. Let's start there. But also they have, they have the awareness that they can pull out of this tasty workout at any time because tasty workouts do, you know, get you to that borderline of closer to where your limits, where you believe your limits are. Um, but yeah, a lot of it comes to nutrition and fueling and the day doesn't go as planned and you've got this tasty workout and you're like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get it in. It's, you know, seven o'clock at night. I'm going to go out and do a 90 minute run that has some good stuff in it. And it might not be the best option. You know, after a day like that, the stress could be increased. You could have skipped a meal or two and then you're going into this workout, putting a lot of emphasis on it and it doesn't, it doesn't pan out and becomes one of your crap workouts. Right. Mm -hmm. Or it's something you're just trying to check the box. And mm. so is it more important to eat something before that workout and then do the workout? Or is it important just to do the workout, have it be crap, you didn't fuel or hydrate enough, and you're just checking it off? Because that's not going to be what the full purpose of that is for. And then you don't detach from it and hold on to that <laughs> yeah. until the next time you get that tasty workout. And then you already go into it going, this is going to be horrible. <laughs> And then it's like, no more tasty workouts. I want to go back to what I was doing before. If you don't want the tasty workouts, all you have to do is be inconsistent with your training. That's it. But, you know, it like, and you still, like, I still make mistakes. So Friday, BJ was making pancakes for one of our athletes that was racing Oceanside. And I didn't get pancakes in Sacramento because I was running the 5K. And so I made up for those pancakes by eating more than the athlete who was racing Oceanside. (laughs) 
And I, I was like, okay, I should be all right. I got two hours before my run. It was awful. It was one of my most awful experiences was running for those four and a half miles that I ran on Friday. But what a gift because I will not do that again, even though I knew that eating too many pancakes is not good for a run. I knew that. But now I've got some real experiential information <laughs> from, my, from my research project, and uh, I don't think I will ever do that again. So I won't do that, and I won't take typhoid, and I'm going to always wear the right size shoes. And here's a good note. Before a workout, I've had one of my high school athletes. I'm like, he doesn't look too good in this workout. What's going on? You talk to him after, yeah, I shouldn't have eaten that pizza. <laughs> Didn't we have an athlete that had like a Philly cheesesteak and then oh, tried to go oh out and God. do like a tasty workout? Yeah, it just doesn't work. That was a couple years ago. It was so good. good. So good. That's, yeah. I mean, you just don't make those mistakes twice. So, all right. Uh, next subject. Let's wrap this up with this last subject. Panic training. Oh, oh panic one. training. All right. Panic training. 11 and a half minutes. Go. <laughs> Clark. Um, so what is panic training? Can anyone tell me? <laughs> it is when you have a race coming up within a week or two, you haven't been consistent, and then you want to go do your, one of your last runs at the pace you wanted to run your race at. And the distance of your race. <laughs> Does that sound like a good idea? Anyone? Oops. Boys? Anyone? Coaches? Yeah. Anybody want to chime in? Anybody want to continue this conversation? The answer is no. I think... <laughs> I think more often than not, it's the distance that seems to be the mental block. Like people believe that they have to run the distance or swim the distance or cycle the distance. Typically, 99% of the time when I've dealt with it, it's always surrounded by the run. There's just a belief that they need to run the, the mileage. If they're doing an Ironman, they need to run the 26.2 miles before race day. Or if you're running a marathon, we're so tied to stories and beliefs that we all need to get two or three 20 milers in that we don't truly listen to what's right for our body. And when the coach tells you, I want you to do this, and then you go out and run that 20, said 20 miler that you are so determined to run, speaking from experience, um, doesn't end well mm. before the race. Yeah. This, this I love this topic. Yeah, it's such um, a good topic. You know, we we pull upon what some athletes have done and been successful at as this focal point of where we think and believe we need to be. And I've been there too, um, but I've also been on the opposite side where I have been one of those people who has done uh, 10, 20 miles, 20 milers leading into a race. But that was after two or three years of consistently running five to six days a week and building durability in the body. And what happens most often is we go and do one of these said workouts, let's just say a 20 miler, because we believe we need to do a 20 miler before we um, get to our race. And then we actually put a stress on our body that's much more impactful in the opposite direction than actually um, helping us in our performance. And that could lead quite honestly to injury um, and, and a distaste for uh, the sport that they're actually, you know, involved in. So 
from experience, it's really important to, uh, you know, address what Liz is talking about is meeting yourself right now, where you are as an athlete, not to say you can't in two, three years, months, even, you know, begin to build long, um, quality sessions, but it takes time. And I think what pulls us out of this thing that we love to do, which is sport, whatever it is, whatever form it takes, uh, is because we are, we put ourselves in a place where we get injured and we get so frustrated because we, we believe we should be further along in the process than we are. And the quick fix to that, I'll let you all know on this little secret is just to see and, um, see where you're at today and embrace it. Knowing that, knowing where you are today is the, the starting point for where you're going to take yourself down the road. And it's okay if you don't have 20 mile runs. I can recall, I can recount numerous experiences where I haven't run 20 miles or an athlete hasn't run whatever they believe and still been successful on race day. So just as you can find evidence that supports this, there's evidence to support the alternative. So the what I believe the strongest compelling point here is, is to meet yourself where you're at today, not where you were when you're in high school crushing, you know, uh, track meets or where you believe you're going to be in years from now when you're, you know, winning your age group, just where you are today. And I think it goes back to why it's so important to have individualized training plans. I still remember Lauren Fleshman telling the story of she wished she could go back because she would know that 70 miles a week was her sweet spot. Anything over 70 miles a week, she got injured because we're so tied to we're supposed to run a certain mileage per week in order to be successful in whatever it is that we want to do in or whatever we're racing, whether it be triathlon, whether it be ultra running, whether it be a 5K. We think it's one size fits all and it's not. You need to listen to yourself, be awake and ready and go from there. And always be checking in with your body, always be checking in and, and having a coach there that you can talk, th- that can see the bigger picture sometimes when you can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, to give some, some proof around what BJ said about, you know, sometimes it will lead to injury. Leading into my first Ironman, I wanted to run a marathon, which is fine. Like I ran the marathon in November and the Ironman was in June, right? That's reasonable. I did that. Um, and then I was like, this is my, one of my first remembrances of like the mind always wanting more, more, more. So then it was like, well, let's do another one because two is better. So I did another one in January and then, um, and then I was like more and I did another one in March and then I got a stress reaction in my foot and I ended up pool running for five weeks prior to Ironman Coeur d'Alene and, um, you know, did the best I could in the pool, but, you know, basically ran three marathons because just because you think like, oh, I want to be able to run the distance, like watch that indulgence if you haven't earned the right, because the mind will probably want more and more and more. And, you know, I think I did like a six hour marathon at Ironman Coeur d'Alene 2008. So it wasn't like, I was running these three marathons. Did it help me? Yeah, because I won't do that again. Um, in the short term, you know, it took me out of running. It caused a lot of stress. And, um, and then I ended up having a pretty slow marathon at that. So it can lead to injury sometimes for sure. 
And I also think that like, if, the, if you have experienced two things, if you've experienced like this panic type training, um, it's almost like we say, like, if you're trying to adopt an abundance mindset, right? It's all about the feeling. So if you're going to purchase something and you're so like freaking out about how much it costs and oh my God, I shouldn't do it. We say, you know, law of attraction and quantum physics would say, don't make the purchase until you're aligned in joy and then make the purchase, right? So if you're panicked and you're going out for a workout and you're like, oh my God, I just have to see if I can get this done. Don't do the workout, Wait until you feel joyful about it. Wait, don't do it because you need to prove something on the other end of it. Like that's just going to continue. That's going to be your point of attraction. You're going to have more reasons to need this, this panic training. Um, and then the second thing is it's, um, if, if you've done this before, which I've done this before and you have a history of not being consistent with your training, which typically is what leads to panic workouts use the history that you have. Like, this is where we can really use the past to, to help us is like, use that history to get those shoes on or get your bike helmet on and get out the door on those days where you're like, Oh, I'll just, I'm just going to email the coach and see if I can move my swim till tomorrow. No, do it. Like be consistent. So, so I don't think it's like, don't panic train. It's more than that. It's bigger than that. It's be consistent in your training. And I think you'd be surprised that the amount of confidence that you'll have and trust that you'll have in yourself to, uh, and trust in your coach to be able to take that need to prove that you can do something and take that and do that on race day. Cause isn't that what race day is for? It's race day is to see what you've got and don't blow that before the gun goes off. I think there's, I mean, they want to see the evidence. So why can't you see the evidence in the race? So I think in triathlon, at least, or, or Ironman training, the a lot of the doubt comes because their swim, they'll do this the swim distance in training. They'll do the bike. You know, they've done a 100-mile ride or whatever. But then when it comes to the run, and it go, always goes back to the run, they're not doing 26.2 miles in the run. So, you know, it's just so hard on the body the running is so hard on the body um and what evidence do you have that you can't run that distance so like you're saying leave it for the race mm -hmm. you know go into the race healthy with without injury leave it for the race mm -hmm. yep and to talk about consistency <laughs> which uh, exercises that muscle of the mind, which Jess just talked about, to build confidence. Uh, I'd love to reference Michael Phelps and how his coach just was uh, so adamant about many small wins per day. So if you look at your week and you seven days a week and you get in five workouts, five good workouts, okay, five weeks based over seven days, so two days there you didn't do anything. Think about what if you did a little bit of something every day and may, maybe doubled up on it, and now you've got let's just say ten freak uh, training sessions in a week. Now you've got 10 opportunities to strengthen the muscle versus the four or five. So the more repetition you can have in, in feeling the body moving, it doesn't matter what it looks like to, if you're in the initial stages of building momentum and consistency, get those wins in, like many small wins. The mind is always going to be starting to, uh, not always, it will start to gravitate to the feeling of winning, 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 winning the day, winning the day. And, and soon you've got that overriding anything or any 
notion or, or thought process that's pulling you into the negative or doubt or you don't feel ready. Because if you're doing two or three things a day, small things, that's that's exercising and building that confidence muscle in the brain, I believe, so that you know, if you skip a day there, you still are getting in more in the week than you would if you just sort of, you know, left it to your own devices of, of what you've been doing in the past. Yeah. And I, you know, confidence is like light, right? Like you come into a room and you turn the, you flip the switch and the light takes away the darkness. Like confidence is going to win over doubt every time. So, uh, the little wins every day, um, is, uh, as I think, I think that's the goal, right? Little wins every day. And then you're going into the race with much more belief in yourself. Okay. We're going to wrap this up. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We uh, certainly appreciate you tuning in today. If there's anything that you want us to riff on in the future, please let us know. Or if there's anything within this conversation that left you wanting more, we can certainly dive in because I'm sure the four of us could sit here all day and continue to chat. Um, But we're going to wrap this up with first concerts. BJ, first concert. I think it was The Cult and Billy Idol. Were you in a seat or on the floor? Did you dance? I think we were at, what was that place (laughs) called in? uh, Great Woods. Great Woods. We got the grass seats so that we could dance. Mansfield Mass. Mansfield Mass. Liz? Um, Mine was Duran Duran at the Richfield Coliseum in Ohio, and I was on the floor. Yeah. Yes, there was dancing. And you are quite a dancer. You've boasted about that a few times off mic. (laughs) <laughs> She's going to lead a dance class at camp in January. Daniel, what was your first concert? I believe it was UB40, Great Western Forum. Did they have more than Angeles. one song? I don't know. All I remember, all I remember is the red, red wine. Like, and like the entire place like went like pink when they did that. Just, <laughs> yeah. Mine was Pink Floyd at the Providence Civic Center. I went with the Pretty Twins. Everybody had like twins in their class, right? Did you have twins? I had the cool twins. I was friends with them and the cool twins. And then the stepdad drove us in the in their Peugeot, which we thought was like a Lamborghini. And I just remember trying to figure out where I was going to smoke cigarettes and not get caught. So it was a success. I'd like to add mine was in a major snowstorm, and I think I gave my dad a heart attack. <laughs> was he there? No, but he was at home thinking, how is my daughter going to get home? <laughs> All right, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, again, another shout out. Let's just bookend this with our Patreon community. We are so grateful. And uh, let us know what you want to hear. BJ and I will be back this month with our O Show. So any questions, send those in. And until next time, signing off. <laughs>